All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Got your Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Joe Rust, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. For any new listeners to the Money Wise program, Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 34th year of business, and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi, we have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas and if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a complimentary portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. Well, as we kick off every weekend's MoneyWise program, I turn it over to my brother Jeff to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay, in the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was up about 216 points, or six-tenths of 1%. The S&P 500 last week was down about 14 points, or three-tenths of 1%. And the NASDAQ last week was down about 264 points, or 1.9%. Now, for the year to date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is up 6.4%. The S&P 500 year-to-date is up 16.3%. And the NASDAQ year-to-date is up 30.4%. So the summer, or I should say the August summer malaise, I would say, is in full effect so far this month. Well, that's, I, mean, I would definitely agree with that. With the, uh, you know, the Dow's down a little bit for the month, less than 1%. The S&P's down 2.7%. The NASDAQ is down almost 5% for the month to date. Uh, to me, there, there's definitely been some rotation, it seems, out of the uh, some of these really you – know, these tech names have done really, really well year to day. I think there's been some money that's come out of them and, and gone into a few other things uh, that, that, ha- that haven't done as well. I think you had some statistics, Kyle, you were talking about before we started the show. There seems to be um, some buying interest in certain parts of the market, and there seems to be more selling interest in other parts of the market. But the other thing is – it, it, you know, the news now, we 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 get we had CPI, Consumer Price Index, we had the Producer Price Index this week. Uh, you know, some, some were describing one as hotter and one a little bit colder. They maybe evened out. Uh, there wasn't anything necessarily in the statistics that gave, you know, the, a, the bulls or the bears an aha moment. Um, and, and I think the, the markets, in the market reaction this week is is reflecting that. Uh, next week, we don't really have that much in terms. Of, we have a few economic statistics. None of them are really going to be market movers. It's not till the week after when we have the Jackson Hole stuff. I mean, it seems like Jackson Hole and time the, 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 when we have all this this economic forum and there's a lot of Fed speak and we'll get all these conflicting Fed messages. 
And so the market will be thoroughly confused about whether there's going to be a September rate increase or not. The statistics from a inflation point of view to me doesn't seem to take off the table the possibility that there's going to be uh, another rate increase because the CPI, the head, the CPI inflation, it was actually up for the first time in 12 months. Though we're we're in the threes, which is a lot better than the nines, which is where we were <laughs> so a year ago. Slightly, yeah. Um, <clears throat> but and 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 again, what's what's helping bring the CPI down to a 3.2 percent level that was reported this past week is again we're still seeing you know compressed costs on energy. Although I do know the last few weeks, energy costs have definitely been starting to ramp up. Uh, if anyone caught Biden's hard-hitting uh, interview with the Weather Channel and the fact that he really wants to stop drilling all over the entire country, which is one of the – he has said so many ignorant things. But this is just right up there in one of the – some of the most ignorant things he's ever said. But, of course, he said, well, I got I, – I, I, I lost my case you know, federally, but that's what I wanted to do. And this was his hard-hitting interview, or I should say his giant softball interview with the Weather Channel that he wanted to end drilling, that he wanted to end drilling on the East Coast, West Coast, Gulf of Mexico. It's like, you're, re- you're really a boneheaded moron, aren't you? Hey, he's priming up next year's election year. He's priming up for his, you know, his... Priming up. If he, if, he sur- if he survives this bribery scandal, which I don't know how on God's green earth he's going to make it to any kind of primary, let alone the election, uh, by either not resigning or getting thrown out of office or being the crookedest president on the face of the earth and, um, and you know, in the history of, of presidents. Well, well, since you brought this up, Kyle. <laughs> Um, You're getting me started. I would be proud that we actually brought this up because we haven't really talked much about he politics. He would be ecstatic. If something like that actually was to happen and the president resigned, uh, I would I would think that might have some market implications. So I don't know how. It's not like he's making any of these decisions himself. He's a puppet. His puppet <laughs> masters would still be in place. So, I mean, yeah, Kamala Harris, she's as worthless as I'm not going to say, but. We were talking before the show about EVs, which is tied directly to what Kyle's talking about with energy. I would like for anybody in his cabinet to go get a Ford Lightning and get a decent-sized trailer in 40-degree weather and haul it more than 150 miles and tell me what they think then. And just, just do that little experiment and tell me. I was reading all about that. So last week about about towing, which you know we never tow anything in life, and it's it's not feasible to do what Kyle was just talking about. No, not- well, and and Joe, to your point, I think this is the reason why I was just announced this past week that Ford is shifting their focus away from EVs to the hybrid market, and they see a much more viable market dealing with hybrids which will be the gas and electric combined in the same vehicle. And so now they're really going to be focusing a lot of their capital expenditures on really ramping up that into the business. Because to your exact point, Joe, I did actually read a study where a couple did tow a trailer with a Ford Lightning. They had to stop every hour and a half to recharge, and the recharging took almost an hour. So when they calculated they were driving over half they drove halfway across the country towing a uh, a travel trailer, and it, it just, they said, never again. It took such an exorbitant amount of time to do it, to your exact point. But but let's go back to, 
to you know to back to the CPI. As Jeff had mentioned, yeah, the CPI came in at three point two percent. It actually was up month over month by two tenths. But when you look at the core CPI, which strips out food and fuel, we are still at 4.7%, which, yes, is still elevated from a historic standpoint. It's moving in the right direction, albeit slowly. But after the CPI report came out, Jeff, they were saying that economists are projecting less than a 10% chance that the Fed is going to be raising interest rates in September. Now, that doesn't take off a potential increase in October, but we'll have to wait and see what they say at Jackson Hole. But let's pause right here and take our first commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from you Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at one 800 275 2162 if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's Money Wise program, continuing to recap the happenings of Wall Street from last week with the Dow being up six-tenths last week, the NASDAQ down three-tenths of one percent, and the NASDAQ down 1.9%. As I said at the beginning of the show, we're kind of in this summer malaise, particularly in August. You know, August historically has been one of the weakest months for the stock market, as we've been talking about on past MoneyWise programs. If you find yourself in a lighter allocation to stocks, you can use some of these pullbacks that we typically see in the August time frame to do a little bit of nibbling and doing, you know, albeit slowly and methodically, some dollar cost averaging into positions that you want to own. And and I'll talk about what we did in the portfolio this past week in just a second. I wanted to go back to the conversation, the big piece of news for the week. What are you waving your hand for? Is that because of me? Because I'm talking with my hands. See, all of our listeners, all of our listeners might not know this, but we do that. We record, you. we record this show via via Ring Central. So we're on, you know, our video cameras from our from our respective offices in, in the southern portion of the state of Texas. So we get to look at everybody. We get to look at each other's faces like we're sitting in the studio. So Jeff was making fun of, I talk with my hands. So back to the, the point I was trying to make and just recapping, you know, Jeff, you're right. You know, CPI did bump up two-tenths of 1%. We've seen the overall CPI at 3 0.2%, and if we strip out food and fuel, the core, it's at 4.7. Now, 4.7, as far as inflation, now some of our listeners, well, how does that work? If you strip out food and fuel, you're at 4.7, but overall CPI is 3.2, and that's, again, the lower cost of energy, which has slowly started to ramp up. So to your point, Jeff, yes, we could start to see these fuel prices, and I've noticed it at the pump. I know you mentioned your wife taking a picture of what it cost her to fill up at the pump. We've seen the price of a barrel of oil starting to come up. You know, oil stocks have really been starting to catch a bid. That was one thing that we did in our portfolios this week is increase allocation to three of our energy positions. This past week was one of several things that we've done in the portfolio. And so, you know, we could see the overall CPI in the next handful of months start to tick up. Um, 
But I'm not, I'm not saying by that doesn't necessarily mean that the Fed is going to have a knee jerk reaction. Say, well, we need to raise interest rates another half of one percent. Yes, I just channeled my thoughts straight to you, Kyle. It came right out of your mouth. That's exactly what I was going to say. That's impressive. Uh, it is. It really we are is. brothers. We are brothers. <laughs> and, you know, we have very similar DNA coursing through our veins. So, but 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 I know that after the CPI came out, the consumer price index came out immediately. They uh, it was it Steve Leisman, not Steve. Yeah, it was Steve Leisman. They came out and said, well, now the projections for a September rate hike is less than 10%. And so I've been hearing more and more financial talking heads and economists saying, you know what, there's a high probability the Fed is going to pause in September and then see how things pan out with some more data because we've got the Jackson Hole meeting in a couple weeks. We know they're not going to be talking dovish. They're going to be talking tough, which we've said on this program for I don't know how many months. They're going to continue to talk tough. We don't see any kind of interest rate decrease this year. I would say at the earliest would probably be summer of 2024. I would say at the absolute earliest, whether you guys agree or disagree, you know, you can make your own opinions. But I, I would say from, from my standpoint, that would be the earliest they'd be looking to cut interest rates. That, that so would be, I, I wouldn't disagree with that, and that, that would hold to historic historic norms. Uh, I'm just wondering if they're going to if they're going to do this every other month thing, where they're going to where they're going to raise rates every other month to the end of the year potentially. If 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 the if inflation just flattens out here, it stays at it stays at four. They're going to come in and they're going to start you know clicking it up a little. You know they're going to maybe it's going to be every other month a quarter percent increase. I see. I know that yields this week on bonds after coming down last week they're back up again. Uh, we, we didn't quite get to to like four, four and four, a quarter. We got like the four point, just shy of four point nine on the two year uh, treasury yield. I know we've got some bonds in our portfolios that are coming coming uh, up for maturity, and we're going to be we're going to get an opportunity to reinvest at some higher rates. Uh, this this five percent on the two year seems to be a ceiling. It seems to be just holding. It's hold it, it, for the last. Got up two or three times. It's come up here. Uh, it's it seems to have always never been able to really get through that five percent level. I think we can all agree that we're at the latter stages of this when in terms of interest rate increases. So whether they do you know another quarter point uh, in October um, and then do another one, you know, and this is really a stretch, another one in December. My guess would be that would that would really have to be it, and if that was it, uh, I think the history has been it's you know, less than a year later they're they're start cutting rates, you know, start going back the other way. And you know, and historically, and historically, when the Fed finally does stop raising interest rates, three months, six months, twelve months out, historically, there is an extremely high probability, close to a hundred percent probability, that the market is higher. Is higher what, when the Fed are, finally starts cutting. When the Fed finally stops raising interest rates, yeah. But here's the thing: how much of think about for a moment how much interest rates have come up, and how much, especially here in the last three quarters, 
you know, starting starting you know October last year, how much the market has come up from those lows in anticipation of interest rate decreases that haven't arrived yet. And all they've done is continue to raise rates. I think there's so much of this. To me, there seems to be there, there, there's so much of this performance expectation when interest rates start getting cut in 2024. The expectation interest rates get cut in 2024. How much of that performance has brought, been brought forward? You know, considering how much we're we're up, you know, still up this year, even with this malaise that we're experiencing. You know, in the month of of August with the S and P down. 2.7% for the month. We're still up 16% without dividends for the year. Yes, Joe. And one thing I wanted to bring out, and, and Jeff is a, our resident fixed income guru, I would say, but where's the 10-year? Where we close, what, where was the 10-year closing 416, Friday? 416. A lot of analysts are thinking 4-2-ish. We may be topped out on the 10-year. And remember a couple of years ago, we were talking about it's not impossible to have 4% or, or higher on a 10-year yield and have the market perform, and we're seeing that this year, although it's you know a, 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 a smaller percentage of stocks that are making up a bulk of the returns of the S&P. You have the S&P up 16% and a 10-year north of 4 So. With all this higher interest costs, it eventually begins to affect consumers, and the, and the effect on consumers and consumer spending finds its way into the economy. For whatever reason, it hasn't really shown. It's it really hasn't. The the ugly heads have really not popped out yet. But yes, I'm, I'm hearing things about um, you know subprime auto loan. Delinquencies going up. We're hearing more about credit card delinquencies going higher. Mm. Um, I I am seeing more and more home prices uh, being cut. There's some, certain markets in the state that I that I check out that have been high priced markets that I'm I'm seeing a lot of activity and how home prices coming down uh, here in Corpus. There seems to be, for whatever reason, here of late, um, the homes seem to be sitting on the market a little bit longer. Um, you know, we've got mortgage rates. Well, it's well mortgage rates. Still well over 7%. Uh, you know, it's, 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 it's mortgage. I mean, it's mortgage rates. I mean, and you're not seeing people that are in their homes wanting to trade up to a bigger home because they're so accustomed to having much lower interest rates. They don't want to trade their three and a half to four percent mortgage for a seven and a half percent mortgage. So they're just staying put, which is obviously creating very limited inventory on the used price or the used home market. But for big corporate builders, we've seen their stocks go absolutely through the roof because they're able to basically finance new home purchases, have these lower interest rates, but they're taking the spread between buying down the points on the interest side, putting into the cost of the house. So it's just more of a psychological moving. It's kind of more of a shell game for these big corporate builders. But one statistic, Jeff, because I know you brought this up on the show about credit card debt being at this historically high level, but here's something else that's historic over the last 20 years. The amount of credit card debt to the amount of dollars in savings across all income levels is the highest it's been in 20 years. So even though credit card debt's been at the highest, we also have the highest savings level in 20 years. But that so, may not last for long. Well, that, that, so that far, yeah, that's down. true. That's that's true, but that's one thing. You know, We can't say, well, because we've got these high credit card uh, amounts of debt, all this credit card debt, that this means that the economy is going to, you know, tremendously slow down. You also have to look at the amount of savings. 
that is also in place, and it's the highest it's been in 20 years. So that's also a little bit of a positive for the economy continuing to have steam moving forward. Let's take our next commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from you Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So we've been talking throughout the show about the big economic statistics that came out this past week, consumer price index and the producer price index, which we really haven't talked about. And the producer price index, the core came out to be at 2.39%. So it actually has come down from the June reading of 2.41%. And if you go back year over year, the PPI core was at 7.60%. So for the producer price index has come down dramatically year over year through the month of July. But I think what this also shows, it's something else we've talked about on this program, and I hate to sound like Elizabeth Warren or even mention her name on this show, but I also read an article about this a couple of weeks ago in Market Watch that folks in the European Union are starting to complain. Consumers are starting to, to complain about this, that a lot of the inflation at the consumer level is on the backs of these corporations trying to basically expand their profit margins and taking advantage, using inflation as an excuse to keep their prices elevated, even though their cost for producing the products has dramatically come down. And so when you're looking at the producer price index for the month of July at 2.39%, and then you see our core consumer price index at 47 it's a little bit of a disparity. Between those two. So I would say that, again, our U.S. corporations are also taking advantage of the Bidenomics. You know, he's done such a great job on inflation, hasn't he, y'all, is to to basically pad their profit margins. And so we've got to get corporate America to stop using inflation as an excuse to expand their margins and their coffers. Hey, as long as we're still paying it, they're going to be able to charge for it. So that's that's how capitalism works. That's, that's- no, I understand. I I, I, under, I understand, but this is and, and obviously the consumer is continuing to to pay for it. And I know during the commercial break, both of you guys were ribbing me because I was bringing up the comment about yes, we have high credit card debt from a consumer standpoint, but across all income levels, we also have the highest level of savings in the past 20 years, and we have seen the M2 money supply actually continue to increase since March of this year and was once again higher through the month of June. Uh, so the July numbers have not been posted as of yet, or at least the, the chart, the Y charts that I go to to find it. And so we have over $20 trillion still in liquid investments. So the $64,000 question is, when is that money going to find its way a little bit more in the stock market? I know, Jeff, you were mentioning earlier in the program of 
we've had three quarters of negative earnings growth, and so is the market has it been shooting up in, in anticipation of higher earnings growth as we get into the third and fourth quarter of this year. But as we've been but as we've been saying on this show for months now, you strip out the Magnificent Seven and you look at the equally weighted S&P 500, it's up less than 9% year to date. Now, is 9% if this was the end of the year and the S&P in total was up 9%, is that a good year? Yeah, it is. It's a solid year. I'm not saying that it's not. But the disparity between the market cap weighted S&P's performance and the equally weighted S&P 500 performance, that's the difference of those seven magnificent seven stocks and the market cap weighted nature of the S&P 500 index. So it can be a little misleading of how strong the market actually is. And as we were talking in the very first segment of this program, is we've seen some of the money start to rotate out. You know, we've seen energy really starting to get a bid. I know that Tom Lee, who is a analyst that is a bull, per, no, he's a, a perma, perma bull. Yeah. He used to be a perma bear, but he has switched, and now he's a perma bull. You know, he was talking on Friday, where is he looking to put money to work? Industrials, energy, consumer cyclicals. You know, that's the areas. And he's not, of course, giving up on tech. And I think when we were talking earlier about some profit taking in tech, I would say it's more trimming. It's not wholesale getting out of these tech names. It's just trimming positions that have become larger allocation positions in portfolios across the country. And and that's a prudent thing to do. You never go broke taking a profit and scraping some profits is not a bad tactic to take. Like the Magnificent Seven. Like the Magnificent Seven, you know, but we have seen, you know, prices come down the Magnificent Seven. I mean, this past week, we did a little bit more nibbling and buying on the buy side in Google and Microsoft. Uh, you know, those two are, again, bellwethers in their uh, industry groups as far as that is concerned to the technology space. You know, some good, strong pillars if you have a technology position in your portfolio. I'd say you can't really go too wrong with those two names. Uh, again, I would not say, and it's a hard and, f- hard and fast rule that we always follow at Davidson Capital Management, never invest more than 5% of your investable net worth in any one individual stock. You can do more than 5% in an exchange-traded fund. You can do more than 5% in a diversified mutual fund, but not in an individual name. And you could also do more than 5% in, in a government bond if you need to. Or corporate bond if you if you well, feel uh, it's a little riskier. Yeah, I'm not, not on corporates. Governments, yes. Corporates, no. Um, one of the things that I you, – you were talking about this equally weighted versus not equally weighted S&P 500, and you, and you strip out the Magnificent Seven. You know, the, the the performance number, what is it equally weighted, Kyle? You said 8. It's less than 9%. I mean, through Thursday, it's 8.18%. April 1.8% through uh, Th- Thursday of this past week. Seven months and two weeks is still a pretty that's, – that's It gonna is. Be, that's going to be a strong year, even stripping out the Magnificent Seven. And all you know, and a lot of that performance to me is all predicated on the expectation that that we're going to have a cessation of interest rate increases, and we're going to have this earnings recovery starting in the third quarter of this year. That's what they're, or the, the third quarter is of current prediction for overall positive earnings, earnings growth. 
positive earnings growth after three straight quarters of negative earnings growth. So all of that gain is on expectations of, of a better future, the expectations that are not here yet, expectations that have not been demonstrated in reality. Uh, to but me, I think, as I okay. said, I just think I just think it's moved pretty far, pretty fast, and this malaise I think is going to continue. For to me, I think this malaise continues for the rest of the quarter. I think you're, you're looking at October before we get out of this malaise, and these these big magnificent seven names, all of them reported. There's only one left that has it. That's Nvidia. Uh, and to me, I think the malaise continues in it because what's the catalyst to turn them around? There's no more earnings news from any of those companies, and they're, they're, they've moved so incredibly far, incredibly fast. And the whole AI thing, the whole AI expe- expectations on artificial intelligence, you know, is the, is the reality going to live up to the hype? Does the reality, does the hype live up to the earnings? I mean, obviously, it's going to be a wait and see, but I think we also need not forget what happened in 2022 to all these names and the shellacking that they took. And so they're still, you know, even though they've had these big runs, these are big runs from a much more depressed level. It's not like Microsoft was up 50% last year and NVIDIA was up 100% last year. They weren't. They weren't. Neither was Google. None of these tech names were. The tech names, the high-price earning multiple stocks got absolutely shellacked last year. And so a lot of this move that we've seen so far this year could just be recovery from the shellacking that they took. But when you look at all these trillions of dollars that are sitting in money markets that have moved into higher-yield money market funds, eventually they're going to find their way into the stock market because history has shown when the Fed stops raising rates, this also allows corporate America to do more financial planning moving forward with their own cash coffers once they know where the Fed's terminal rate is. And where their terminal rate is, it's anyone's guess right now. Now, is the Fed going to finally come out and say, we're done? That's it. No, of course not. They're never just going to come flat out and say, I mean, although this Fed is a lot more communicative than Alan Greenspan ever was, they're still not going to come out and say, all right, everybody, market, economy, we're done raising interest rates for the next couple of years. Our next move is going to be a cut. That's not going to happen. There is such a thing as too much communication. There is. Again, I still go back to my favorite my favorite quote from Alan Greenspan, if you know what I'm thinking, I'm talking too much. <laughs> I love that quote. And I and sometimes I wish the Fed was more like that because when these Fed governors open up their mouths, they have market moving uh react they can have market moving reactions. Some more than others. Some more than others. Well, Bullard is done. He's at, he actually he's no longer a Fed governor. He's a professor now, I believe. The so I always I used to always that's right, Joe. I used to always call it the Bullard put it. He opens his mouth, you short the market, you're almost guaranteed to be a winner at the end of the day. It just without fail. No, we don't we don't deal with options at Davidson Capital. But you know, that's that's a situation that that we find ourselves in. So you say, Jeff, what's the catalyst to move the stocks higher? You know, the, the only catalyst I would say to move stocks a little bit lower here here in the shorter term is just some profit taking, some trimming and some scraping of profits, but not 
wholesale getting out of positions for investors across the country. So let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So for this past week at Davidson Capital Management, we, you know, we'd been quite busy and we'd been talking about it on the show the past few weeks that when we start to see some of these pullbacks, some of this profit taking, you know, if you're seeing your portfolio in a lighter allocation to stocks and really where you want to be for the longer term, you use these pullback opportunities to start to slowly and methodically dollar cost average in. And that's exactly what we had done this past week in our portfolios. Now, when we look at our moderate allocation, we are less than a 53% allocation to the equity market and a moderate allocation. And so what we did is we did some nibbling on some stocks that, great, that have great long-term fundamentals in our individual stock and bond accounts for our asset builder program, which is exchange-traded funds and the portfolio that's actively managed. Through those exchange-traded funds, we added to a newer one of our exchange-traded fund positions that primarily focuses on wide economic moat-type uh, companies, which are definitely more resilient if there's any type of you know future economic recession, wide economic moat companies. And just for all of our listeners' education, these type companies have very captured customer bases. It's very onerous if you're a customer of a wide economic moat company to shift to the competitor because there's a long lead time, a long education time, or a very large expense to move to a new customer. And so these companies have been found historically to weather economic slowdowns much better than companies that have no economic moat. So we increased a little bit of allocation to those positions. And so we're continuing to stay on our game plan. As earnings come out, as we get forward guidance, we've been methodically increasing allocations to our individual stock positions throughout the earnings season this year. Uh, doing the same in our asset builder programs of continuing to add allocation. And I don't know if we've actually discussed it on this program. I know I've had this conversation with, with several clients that under the current political administration, we are capping from a moderate allocation standpoint, we're capping our stock allocation to 60%. So we're still not there yet and still might take us another month or two uh, to get there if we get there to that final destination by the end of this year. But that's really where we're keeping our maximum target allocation and a moderate allocation at 60% because we've got 40% of our portfolio on the fixed income side doing more heavy lifting, heavy lifting that we have not seen in 15 years here okay, at Davidson so, Capital so Management. You said the reason we have it at the, our cap at 60% was political. It's not. No, it's it's it's, it's, it's not, not 
political, but it, obviously if there was a different political party, different president in the White House, we might be more open to the idea of going maybe to above 60% allocation. Oh, wow. That's news to me because I certainly wouldn't agree with that. I would not agree Well, you're just that. one vote. You're just one vote of three. So we do follow a full democracy here at Davidson Capital Management. It's full democracy. The reason that we – yeah. Oh, this is, you, you've got me got me lit up here now, Kyle. Sweet. No, it's not, it's go, not, Jeff. It's not political. In my opinion, it's not political that we're at sixty percent maximum allocation of stocks. If we were going to go to our maximum max allocation, which we're not at currently, it has to do with we're getting the highest rates that we have it that, that we've had in twenty two years. Um, if the political situation gets worse, if we do have something that you know, does really happen in Washington, you know the markets, guys. Can we agree that the political side of things, when it comes to what the market's been paying attention to, that the market is not paying attention to any of it? Totally agree. I mean, I mean, <laughs> if something like this was going on, you know, thirty years ago, I don't think the markets would be having this kind of mm-hmm. would have had the kind of run we've had this year. It's interesting how it's little, not tethered. It's it, detethered it's, itself. It's, it's very interesting how little. The political situation in Washington has had to do with performance of, the, of securities this year, and I wonder again, as I as I've speculated in the past here in the last few months, that the, the people managing money um, just don't really consider politics as part of well one of their uh, variables when determining how to asset allocate uh, investments. Politics just doesn't really come into um, this, the, 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 the calculus, if you will. Yes, Kyle. But, Jeff, wouldn't you agree that a lot of firms in the financial service industry nowadays follows a passive strategy? We're going to stick in a computer algorithm based on a questionnaire that you filled out. Here's what it tells us based on a Monte Carlo analysis, how we should have your assets allocated. We're going to set it and all the proprietary investments that we have revenue-sharing relationships with. We're going to charge you an exorbitant amount of fees. We're going to, you know, manage the relationship and we're just going to let your money ride, set it and forget it. That's a good portion of the financial service industry. Wouldn't you agree this day and age? Well, it seems to be based on uh, analysis of client portfolios that there seems that there's more often than not, it's a set it and forget it type asset allocation uh, model, which is very profitable for uh, the for the firms, Wall Street firms of this, they don't have to do a whole lot of work uh, in order to maintain something like that. they just they're just sixty forty seventy thirty all the time. Uh, but if the political situation were to change, I wonder uh, how much the, how much confidence would be potentially shaken. And you know the markets are built on confidence. They're, but markets you know can can move on a, a momentum shift, a sentiment shift. Uh, it can move very quickly one way or the other. So, well, I so, think the market have, is – Though we have raised our asset allocations in the last week, make no mistake, if there's something that, that changes uh, in the marketplace, we stand ready to you know make, make changes to the portfolio. I'm not anticipating anything. No. But you always – We always to, stand you know, ready. We, we always have to stand ready and to, to, do, to, to do something if, if sentiment changes, if confidence changes, and, you know, I'm. If Dad was here uh, talking, he would he would be saying some of these same things that I am. Is that the political 
the, the political situation has just totally been ignored this year when it comes to uh, you know allocating investments in, 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 in portfolios. Well, and the other thing I wanted to say is that we built every we build every single one of our portfolios on <clears throat> with an escape hatch. And so that is part of our overall strategy. So every one of our stock portfolios, equity portfolios, always has an ejection seat ready to push the button if market conditions necessitate it. Well, and that's and that's what active management is about. But you always have to stand ready to be able to make that decision when a decision needs to be made. And unfortunately, majority of Wall Street firms aren't there to do that because they just follow that passive strategy. And so if you find yourself in that situation, you have to ask yourself, what am I really paying these exorbitant management fees for when it's not actually being managed? Well, with that, we're coming up at the top of our break, so we're going to take the break, go into the news. When we come back, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program and continuing with investor education. So stay tuned, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Money Wise, guys, we'll be back after the news. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on Money Wise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We've got my father, John, my brother, Jeff, and I'm your host, Kyle Davidson. We are diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at DavidsonCap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at one 800 275 2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So for the second hour of this weekend's MoneyWise program, um, as we normally use the second hour to go into investor education, you know, there was a, a topic and a subject matter that uh, that I've wanted to to talk about for some time, and I've been thinking about it all week, and it, and it really talks about uh, investors' behavior and improving investors behavior and so doing some research and really where this spur you know really where I got the spark to want to look into this and research it is several weeks ago uh, Dalbar released a study and they released a study on an annual basis talking about investor behavior and their typical rates of return um, and and what their experience has been as managing money of their on their own and and from time to time when i meet with prospective clients and current clients we talk about investor psychology and how investor psychology can do a lot of damage to portfolios so in my research i actually ran across a presentation that was put together by the mutual fund family munder i want to give them the credit for for putting this presentation together which i thought was just fantastic presentation that i wanted to pass along to our listeners because it's got a lot of good food for thought but it also includes some of these dalbar statistics about investor psychology and the rates of return that individual investors have been achieving over a very long period of time, in fact, the 20-year time period, and how critical it is to have the connection with an investment professional to assist them, but also how to not allow humans, the, your human psyche 
become a roadblock to investing for your future. So looking at this presentation, you know, historic historic investment behavior really threatens the ability to accomplish objectives and achieve achieve returns. The result is, is that investors are not going to reach their goals, whether it be retirement, saving for higher education, what have you. Investment returns may be far more dependent on investment behavior than market performance. And so investors who hold their investments typically are going to earn a higher return over time than those who attempt to time the market. And there's an old saying that that I use is it's about time in the market and not timing. So looking at emotional decisions, you know, these emotional decisions are often based on biases and not objective analysis. So potential investor problems that folks run into is identifying, first they're looking and trying to identify trends that don't exist in the marketplace. Uh, They also overweight information in the press. That brings up the example that we've talked about for many years of the client that came in to our office in 2008 and wanted us to liquidate his accounts because Glenn Beck told him that he needed to liquidate all of his investments. That's a a particularly egregious example of, of someone overweighing information from someone in the press that has absolutely no investment experience whatsoever. And as a matter of fact, has a bias towards promoting a investment philosophy that enriches their advertisers, which in turn enriches the person that is delivering the message i.e. all the gold ads that you hear on shows like Glenn Beck or uh, really the conservative side of the aisle. I'm trying to think of some of those other guys. Glenn Beck, uh, Sean Hannity. Hannity. You you listen to these shows, every one of them's got a gold ad on. I think Limbaugh, as at one time, may still, I haven't listened to Limbaugh in so long, runs gold ads. Mm-hmm. And and you know and again we talk about on the show all the time about overweighting the information from the press because again this twenty four hour news cycle we feel is doing a lot more damage to the investor psyche than if they just turned it off and tune it out a little bit more or if they do continue to listen to it to take things with a little bit of a grain of salt and realize that the information is going to be coming to them with a certain bent to it depending upon who's the person that's providing the information. So, you know, something else talking about emotional decisions and, and, and decisions based on bias and not objective analysis. You know, a lot of investors, I mean, investors giving greater weight to the equivalent amount of gains and losses. And really it comes down to, and, and I ask this question all the time of prospective clients or even current clients, is remembering losses more than gains. And that's one thing that, that in particular really holds investors back is is always having i mean losses from 2000 losses from 2008 still being so fresh in the front of their mind um, that's holding them back from making decisions to get involved with the stock market you know something else from emotional decision standpoint is overestimating their own ability to manage their wealth and i know with a lot of the self-help books out there with a lot of the blogs and a lot of the websites i think there's a false sense of security that can be 
built into an investor's mindset saying, you know what, I can do this on my own and I can do better doing this part time on my own. And I can tell you, you know, with 70 plus years of combined experience sitting in the studio, we can tell you that you cannot manage money part time and be successful over the long term. It's just cannot happen. It will not happen because things move so much quicker in this day and age. And then finally, you know, this all can lead to repeatedly making the same mistakes when you have these biases and you don't take an objective analysis when it comes to investing. So let's talk about the identifying of trends or patterns where none exist. You know, one thing that in individual investors do all the time is chasing the hot dots or basically chasing the hot stock or chasing the hot investment du jour for the many years. Hot asset class. Hot asset class. For many years, it's been what? Precious metals. It's been all about gold. The late 90s was silver. internet stocks. Uh, and then, but gold here, especially this century, uh, or really precious metals in general, had been one of the hottest areas. And then, you know, here uh, lately, in the last uh, three, four years, it's been social media. Uh, we've got the Amazons of the world, the Teslas of the world, mm -hmm. uh, th that have been certainly being chased uh, by, by investors and bidding them up quite a bit. They've had they've had a, a pretty uh, good correction here in the last few months, which I think has contributed to the, the, this market uh, kind of so not experiencing the kind of gains that we thought that that should have here in the first four months of the year. And and before we go to the commercial break, another issue that investors run into is the gambler's fallacy, believing that one can predict when trends will reverse themselves and feeling that they're a, a good timer of knowing when to pull the trigger. So we're going to pause right there, take another commercial break. When we come back, we'll be continuing improving investment behavior, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the Money Wise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So talking about improving investor behavior, going through a presentation, talking about investor psychology, before we went to commercial break, we were talking about a lot of issues that investors run into, in particular those that are, that are managing their own assets. And one, one big issue that investors run into is chasing the hot dots or basically chasing the stock du jour or the sector du jour. Uh, we also talked about the gambler's fallacy, believing that one can predict trends are going to – being able to identify and predict when trends are going to reverse themselves. Uh, another issue that that individual investors run into is focusing on investments doing well, but ignoring those investments that are not doing well in their portfolio. And I've run into this quite often when I do portfolio reviews and analysis, when I, I talk to prospective clients that are very happy about being in a position that pays a 10, 12, 13% dividend yield, and they're completely honed and focused in on the fact that they're giving a 12 to 13% dividend yield, and they're not realizing that they've lost 50% or 75% 
of their original investment, of their principal, because the value of the stock has just plummeted, but they were dazzled by just the yield. So let's talk about uh, Dalbar. Now, Dalbar is a company that was gathering a lot of investor data. Uh, They've been doing this for years and years and years. They just came out with a report that has information through 2013. And so what Dalbar found in their survey is that clients are motivated by two main emotions, and we've talked about them on this show for years and years and years. The two emotions are fear and greed. They're not motivated by sound investment practice. Investment returns are typically increase when there is a disciplined behavior. And, I mean, that's one thing that we've preached on the Money Wise program going back to 2005. It's about having a very strict philosophy, as we do here at Davidson Capital Management, as a balanced manager. A, a disciplined behavior has many different that's aspects. Right. You know, one of those, and I think one of the most important parts of being disciplined is, especially in a retirement account, is participating in your 401K, contributing as as much as you can if you can contribute the maximum amount to your 401k that obviously that's going to give you the the highest probability of reaching your investment goals in retirement contributing that money every single month and investing on a consistent basis time and time again and I've got dozens of examples of clients that are in identical investments over long periods of time, and the ones that are contributing to their accounts on a monthly, bi-weekly basis are outperforming those clients that don't contribute anything at all with identical investments, identical allocations, because it gives us, the, the investment manager, the ability to, to buy, could always be in the market, Buying securities, maybe you know, like right now, we've had opportunities to buy some of these funds at lower prices because the markets have been down. Mm-hmm. And by dollar cost averaging all the time, and having the discipline to contrib- contributing to your retirement, and even if you're not contributing, if you if you've maxed out your 401k and you still have money that's left over to to put into some sort of retirement account. Get a, get a tax, get a, just a, a regular brokerage account, start contributing consistently to that one, too, and investing consistently in, in, that, in that type of account. Over the long period, it is going to pay tremendous dividends. That's right. So, as you said, Jeff, disciplined behavior could mean investment philosophy and strategy. It could mean paying yourself first and participating and saving for your nest egg. Now, the Dalbar study also... Uh, went and calculated the guest right ratio. And what the guest right ratio is is the percentage of time the average equity investor correctly guessed the direction of the market. Over a 20-year period ending December 31st of 2012 was 63%. So a little bit more than half. Now, granted, how do they gather this data? I have no idea. I'm not sure. I mean, again, they have some type of matrix and process they go through to gather this data. The bottom line is investors are driven to do the wrong thing by the psychological factors that overtake their rational decision making. And that's what they that's again what what Dalbar is finding in their studies. And so as we get further into this Dalbar study, we look at 
investors are driven to do the wrong thing by psychological factors that overtake rational decision-making. And so they've actually listed a number of psychological factors that every investor has when they're going through their decision-making process. And so this kind of going through all of these that are presented by Dalbar, the first one is we have loss aversion. And this is when an investor is expecting to find high returns with low risk. And I think that's any utopian dream of any investor is being able to get a high rate of return with little to no well, risk. Well, isn't this in kind of a, a selling or a attempted selling point for equity index annuities? Oh, brother, did you hit that one right on the head? You're absolutely right. I mean... They use this psych. I mean, again, marketing firms are looking at psychological factors that drive investors' decision making, and they're putting it into their presentations. And like you said, this loss aversion, all the upside, none of the downside, every, throwing the guaranteed word right. out there is what it's. We're psychologically wired to be attracted to those kinds of pitches. And so this loss aversion causes the investor to search for investments that either don't exist and results in either taking no action or later discovering that the selected investment fails to meet their expectations, a la equity indexed annuities. And, and let's give an example. Recently, you, we, we'd, we've seen all sorts of equity indexed annuities over the years. Yes. And I can tell you that our typical experience for an investor that has held an equity indexed annuity, say over at least a five-year time period, that they typically return about a third of what you would have received had you just put the money into an S and P 500 index fund. Oh, if you're just talking straight S and P, it's even it's even less than a third, Jeff. It's less than a third. I did a comparison on a most recent prospective client of our moderate allocation, our middle of the road more conservative allocation model that we use with more retirees or pending retirees at Davidson Capital Management, and their returns were a third or worse compared to our returns in a balanced allocation. So if you're talking 100% stock... So, so what we mean by a third or worse, like for five years, the the moderate allocation might have returned 65% total return mm -hmm. over a five-year period. Net of fees and expenses. Net of all fees, all expenses. And an, an equity index annuity might have returned uh, 20% or less. Yeah. Total return. Total return. And the, re and the difference between the two is... Well, that 40% is going to the insurance company. So, you know, talking about these psychological factors, again, we talked about loss aversion. Another one is narrow framing, and that's when you make decisions without considering all the implications. The result is a quick decision-making with the consequences that facts are uncovered after inappropriate investments are made. So you make a quick decision, and then you uncover some more facts after the fact that you made that decision and you're like, uh-oh. This fits very well with that example I just used about that the client that came in and said, liquidate my portfolio because Glenn Beck said to. And then, what, one week later, two weeks later, Glenn Beck went on, on air and said, hey, I'm I, a schlub. I, I, I said this on my show here recently, but don't listen to me because I don't know anything about investments. So the, the inappropriate investment that was made was pulling the investments. 
That's that right. was the inappropriate investment, was taking everything out and putting it into cash. That's right. So here's another psychological factor that affects investors and their decision-making is anchoring. Now, anchoring is a very powerful communication method, but can mislead investors unless it is used with caution. So investors can be misled about the stability of an investment if analogies are used to represent stability. And analogies of growth can also lead to unrealistic beliefs and expectations. Again, leads back to indexed annuities. When I read this, I just think of sales pitches that are more prevalent in the marketplace and even on different radio shows across the state. And again, using now this psychological effect of anchoring, you know, presenting and misleading investors with the stability and the potential performance of this and, product. And, and we've been mentioning equity index annuities, for, for example, but there are other examples such as private placement, REITs. That's right. You know, they're sold based on their yield, but mm -hmm. we kind of gloss over the fact that how illiquid they are and how the, the value of the security could go down and how uh, those 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 aspects of the investment are not discussed but the focus is all on the yield that's right and, and not and not you know can i get my money out if i need to liquidate how fast can i get a hold of my money and what is going to be the underlying value of my principal investment kind of going back to that i'm getting a 10% yield, but I've lost 50% of my principal investment. Well, how is that beneficial to your portfolio? Well, we're coming to the bottom of the hour, so we're going to take the break. When we come back, we'll be continuing improving investor behavior, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So continuing our presentation in the second hour of improving investor behavior and, and again, going into... Uh, psychological factors that Dalbar, who is a, a financial industry information gathering company that does a lot of surveys, you know, I wanted to do something talking about the psychological factors and psychological effects that individual investors have uh, or, or how the psychological mindsets can, can hurt investors' portfolios over the long term. And so we were going through the different psychological factors that have this effect. We've talked about loss aversion and narrow framing and anchoring. But we talk about next is mental, mental accounting, and that's when you take undue risk in one area and avoid rational risk in others. And I would say the best example, Jeff, in this area would be in precious metals. That would be that would be one area. I could I would also say that in the, to us in this market environment, taking risk in long maturity fixed income securities. That's right. And avoiding the the quote unquote risk that is inherent in, in investing in stocks. To us, and this may seem odd to some people listening to the show is we believe there's more risk in owning long maturity 
fixed income securities, whether they be municipal, government, corporate, than there is in owning the equivalent stocks of the same companies. We see more risk in owning a 30-year Exxon bond than we do maybe owning Exxon stock or AT&T or Verizon or hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of other companies. So even though you're talking about gold in particular, because we've seen a lot of uh, many clients that have, that have had large positions in gold, but I could also say the same thing for cash. You know, just plain yeah. old straight cash. They're, the risk that they're take, uh, investors are taking by having large amounts of cash in their portfolios is they're not getting any growth whatsoever. So, so mental accounting can be as damaging to returns as any other psychological factor, since investors can be misled into inappropriate investments. Uh, another psychological factor that can affect your portfolio. Now, this is interesting, diversification. Now, in diversification, you're obviously seeking to reduce risk, but simply using different sources. Now, it's extremely valuable investment strategy, but can also be misused to create a false sense of protection that results in potential return-killing action. And I think the best example of this, Dad, is you talk about Jim Cramer when people call up and say, am I diversified? Yes. And they have three or four stocks. Five. Yeah, five stocks saying, am I diversified? And Kramer's saying, well, you're in this industry, you're in that industry. Yeah, you're diversified. So you have your entire portfolio in five stocks. That is not, in our opinion, diversification. Something else where diversification saying, yeah, I'm diversified. What if you owned a bunch of different companies in the same industry? And I hate to quit picking on gold, but gold miners, for instance, I have reviewed a portfolio this year that had a ton of different gold miners and and different precious metal miners, and guess what? They feel that they're diversified, but they're concentrated in one industrial arena. And so that's, again, when we talk about diversification, we're talking stocks, bonds, large cap, mid cap, small cap, international bonds, domestic bonds, short maturity bonds, cash, cash. That's diversification. It's not five stocks of five different industrial companies and that's it. Or having 15 companies in one industrial sector, that's not diversification. So be very, very careful and understand what true diversification means. Uh, another psychological factor, according to Dalbar, and this is a classic, hurting. Copying the behavior of others, even in the face of unfavorable outcomes. Investors that go along with the crowd, simply because there is a crowd, tend to avoid catastrophic errors, but seldom achieve above-average results. High returns are not achieved by herding. And, I mean, again, that herd mentality, I mean, it has been reported in so many different publications how... You know, again, long-term success. I mean, even to thinking more of a, contra- you know, being more of a contrarian as opposed to following the herd. Another psychological factor is regret. You know, treating errors of commission, which basically means decisions that you have made, you're treating them more seriously than errors of omission or a decision that you should have made. That basically means being extremely hard on yourself for deciding to buy this stock or this mutual fund as opposed to something else. And investors who defer, who fear decision-making lose their upside potential through inaction or reversal. 
Inaction can prevent losses caused by poor decisions, but is unlikely to produce higher potential returns. So again, inaction. You don't want to have inaction. Another psychological effect, media response. Before you go into that, yeah. I think the inaction kind of ties in with, with folks overestimating their own ability to manage their, their wealth. That's right. Because they get too busy. Mm-hmm. And when you get too busy you, 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 and you run out of time or you're too tired, you've got other responsibilities, then you, can't, you cannot take the – you can't set aside enough time to really look at your portfolio, understand what's going on, and take action when action needs to be taken. That's right. And so here's another one that, again, goes along with the media. Media response. It's a tendency – it's another psychological effect. It's a tendency to react to news – Without reasonable examination, going back to that Glenn Beck example, familiar media sources have become less reliable as they compete with newer, faster, and low-cost outlets. At the same time, new media outlets seldom have very thorough authentication. The question of reliability rises, raise, excuse me, raises the concern about reacting to news. So, again, that media response, and we've talked about that ad nauseum on this program. And then, finally, psychological factor that holds back and affects investors' portfolios over the long term is optimism. Now, Dad, I know we've used on this program, what's the bad four-letter word? Hope. Hope. The belief that good things happen to me and bad things happen to others. Optimistic investors hold on to investments after it becomes evident that losses are not likely to be recovered. Holding on to poor investments is yet another way psychological factors can reduce potential returns. Hope is a bad four-letter word. So with all this said, let's talk about the performance of the average equity investor. And this is a 20-year statistic, and this is through 12-31-2013. According to Dalbar, the average equity investor's return for 20 years annualized is 5.02%. Now, here's the tough pill to swallow. The S&P 500 index, same time period, up 9.22%, almost double what the individual average equity investor has realized in their portfolio for a 20-year time period because of the psychological factors that we just went over. I mean, I think that speaks volumes. I'd be curious, and I know you didn't do this, I'd be curious to know what a, a moderate allocation portfolio had done during that time period. I know it, it's going to be close to that. To I mean, when we're talking about the S&P 500, we're talking about a 100% stock portfolio, which is not something that we would recommend to any of our listeners to put 100% of their investments in stock. The optimum rate of return for us lies somewhere between these two numbers. but Because you know, 5% is very low. You know, most people plugged into their their investment projections for the future when they were when they're trying to figure out how much money they needed for retirement and and they and they used a particular rate of return in their investment portfolio. Uh, I don't think anybody was using five percent. Well, a twenty-year bond twenty years ago would have yielded more than five percent. Mm-hmm. 
Which means if you just bought a 20-year bond 20 years ago and held it for the 20 years, you would have done better than the average investor from the study. I, I think the average, in yeah, the average investor, by and large, I, I would say, sold sells out at the bottom and is slow to get back in again. Well, you know, I, I think, again, Jeff, when you when you allow your emotions to dictate your buys and sells, I mean, I think emotion, and along with these psychological factors that we went into, but emotion, your, emo- your emotional attachment to your assets and your nest egg, again, I, I think is what's causing so many investors to make these bad decisions. And one huge advantage of having... A professional money management team like a Davidson Capital Management, an RIA that has discretionary control, is they help separate that emotion from your nest egg because you're relying on their expertise and their experience of being in the trenches of managing assets to make those decisions for you. You're you're separating your site those psychological factors from your assets because they're out of your control, and by taking those assets out of your control. That's eliminating is it's eliminating a lot more emotion, and it becomes a lot more difficult for you to try to pull the wrong trigger on making a decision in your portfolio. You know, and you know again, an old saying that investors would have. I mean, here's something an investor would say to themselves. You know, a stock's historic high was fifty dollars, but then it declines rapidly. The next thought in an investor's mind is, well, once my stock gets back to fifty, I'll sell, and that is. Hope, hope. Okay, well, we're going to take our last commercial break. So we're going to take the break, come back. We'll be wrapping up this and proving investor behavior. After we come back from break, you're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906 zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two and if you'd like to send us an email you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com so we've been talking this whole hour about improving investor behavior and as dad said the commercial break we've been talking about all the bad things investors have been doing and i promise you we're getting ready to get to how to improve investor behavior but before we get there i want to talk about Again, the most common and potentially most damaging behavior that investors can have in their portfolio. Number one is an over-concentration in a particular position, and it can lead to unwarranted risk. So again, owning too much gold, owning too much in one particular industrial sector. Too much fixed income. Too much fixed income. Too much cash. That's right. It's important to understand that the market does not generally reward those who take risk that can be diversified away. So the reason why, again, we maintain a balanced philosophy of Davidson Capital Management we've had for the past quarter century and for the next quarter century, we'll continue to have that balanced allocation. Remember that the market is not going to reward those non-diversified huge risks that you take in concentrating in your portfolio in one particular area. And also you have to remember, investors are not adequately rewarded for the additional risk that they're assuming. You know, failure to diversify a portfolio 
you know, if a portfolio is not diversified enough, the potential losses may be greater during market downfalls and macroeconomic-driven events. So, again, this is why it's key to have diversification, have a balanced allocation, and, again, to have it actively managed. That's an absolute key. So how do we correct the behavior? You know, how do investors correct the behavior? Well, first and foremost is having an asset allocation, an initial asset allocation model and an ongoing asset allocation model, and an allocation model that is rebalanced. It's not set it and forget it because we have seen that more times than we can count doing portfolio Set it and forget reviews. it is, is one of the, the most common asset allocation that is typically found with – uh, a relationship that is more sales oriented than it is active management oriented, meaning the investor has a relationship with a full service broker. Uh, they they're not in the business of managing portfolios. They they typically set an initial allocation and when the, when the money's deposited, and they move on. When you buy an annuity, the initial asset allocation is set, and then that's it. You move on. So another way to correct investor behavior is setting and managing realistic expectations. If you're in a moderate allocation that's actively managed, you know, don't don't expect to be seeing a 15 to 20% annualized rate of return. That's just not realistic. I, I you know, today when we when I see prospective clients, the issue is not having the 15% plus, the, the double-digit type return expectations like we saw in the late 1990s. Mm-hmm. What it is is it's saying, oh, I want a 10% return, but I don't want, but I only want 20% of my money in stocks. That's what we're seeing now. Good there, point. There, there's a there's a aversion for risk, but the 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 return uh, expectations are reasonable by and large. But what isn't reasonable is the mix of assets to achieve that return. And that's where we have to say, now, you have to understand, if you want an 8%, 9% return, you're going to have to have 70% of your money in stocks given the current level of interest rates. And that's when the investors say, well, wait a second, I don't want to have 70% of my money in stocks. And so you have to bring down those expectations based on how much risk you're willing to take. So another way investors can help improve their returns and their behavior is maintaining true diversification. Not diversifying in multiple companies in one industrial sector, it's having mid-cap asset classes, large-cap asset classes, small-cap asset classes in a multitude of different industries. Foreign and domestic. Foreign and domestic, fixed income and equity, cash holdings, maintain that true diversification. Another great way to help improve returns, and Jeff, I know you said this earlier in the hour, dollar cost averaging into investments. If you have a 401k, if you have an IRA, if you have a taxable account, setting up monthly contributions, or if you're in a 401k, per pay period contributions. We know in 25 years of business, we've had clients that have been with us from the very beginning, and we can go back and look at the two different clients in the same allocation model, one client that's putting in money every month, another client that doesn't put another dollar in after their initial investment and the rates of return and the same allocation model is shocking we've seen dollar cost averaging work with our own eyes with our own client base it's somewhere it's somewhere between two and three percent per year compounded which doesn't sound like a lot but get out of that's a difference between 
a 7% compounded return, and a 10% compounded return. And that adds up to serious money over the long period. Absolutely. Another way to help improve your returns, staying in the market. Now, again, it's time in, not timing. And if you have a proper allocation, you have an asset allocation model, you have true diversification in your dollar cost averaging, even when we have very choppy waters, you know, again, what we're trying to convey is the all-in, all-out strategy is not going to work because you're never going to be able to time it perfectly either way. So if you have an active, actively managed, balanced allocation over the long term, you will be rewarded. And finally, and I, I, God, this point is so good. I'm glad it's the last point. Investors need to stay focused on their goals that they have for their nest egg in their portfolio and not be focused on the markets and the day-to-day gyrations. And stay focused on your long-term goals. I cannot say that any stronger or clearer. And that is so hard to do in an environment now where we are saturated in media. It is. It is. Television and gazillion channels of TV, the Internet, whether it's on a computer sitting at our desk at work, a computer sitting on our desk at home, or our smartphones that are tied into CNN news feeds or whatever, or CNBC, CNBC news feeds. Market Watch. There's, you have to consume media. Uh, Lightly? Well, go on a diet? <laughs> The Atkins diet of uh, of uh, media consumption. Too much of too much media can lead to being paralyzed making decisions. And we've learned from this Dalbar study of psychological effects on investing and what creates poor investment returns is the lack of being able to make a decision because you're being paralyzed by fear. So. Dad, I'm glad we kept you awake during this presentation, just barely, but it's something that I've been thinking about all week. I wanted to get some good, you know, meaty statistics and just information to pass along and the psychological effects and, and how they can affect both positively and negatively a portfolio. So we would like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. Again, if you'd like to give us a call on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. For my father, John, my brother, Jeff, this is Kyle Davidson saying have a fantastic weekend to your financial health. We'll talk to you next week.